All right. May it be so. All right. Um, I want to begin this morning by sharing with you a story. I've told this before, but it's really good, and so I'm going to tell it again. Um, and, I, and I have some pictures. I brought some pictures from home to share. So it's kind of a show and tell. <clears throat> but I was reminded of this story uh, this past Friday, not two Friday nights ago. Uh, there was a group of us who met here at the building to help uh, with an outreach over here at UK um, with the Lexington Chinese Christian Church. So if you're unaware of this, the Lexington Chinese Christian Church meets in our building every Friday night. They have a big outreach to college students, and they use our facility on Friday nights to to do that, and we are just so excited about that partnership. We love uh, the family at the Lexington Chinese Christian Church, and we love to be able to partner with them in that way. And so they had invited some of us to come up here on a Friday night and help reach out and be a part of that. Um, And I ran in to Daisy. So Daisy, uh, you see in that picture, I had not seen Daisy for a number of years. It had been a little while. But uh, that's Daisy and her son, Matthew. Uh, And then that's Amanda Jones, who uh, was our children's minister here at one time. And then that's me when I still had 20-20 vision and before my eyesight just fell off the cliff. But um, <clears throat> we, we uh, had a special uh, evening here. We met Daisy and Matthew. Amanda had been working for a, a number of months or a long time. Amanda had just had, a, had developed a very, very special relationship with Daisy and had been studying with Matthew uh, and Matthew was ready to give his life to Jesus Christ in baptism. And so we met up here at the building to make that happen. And we baptized Matthew. And in that final picture, uh, for some reason, I have this crazed look on my face. <laughs> right? Uh, and I want to tell you why I had that crazed look. Because what happened when Matthew came up out of the water, 10-year-old little Matthew, he comes up out of the water. And right when he comes up out of the water, he throws his hand up in the air, and he says, new life. And so, of course, that's going to cause that look on my face, right? I mean, that's what happens when you hear a 10-year-old who comes up out of the water, and he's just barely up, and he throws his hand up in the air, and he says, new life. Matthew got it. At 10 years old, he understood what he had received, new life. In our text today, I love, I love, I had Gregory read it from the NIV 84 because I love the way it translates the command given by the angel of the Lord to the apostles in verse 20. The angel said, go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. Little Matthew, he was right on when he came up out of the waters and shouted new life because it's exactly what he had been given, new life. And my question for you this morning is this. If you're not a Christian, if you have not 
given your, your life to Jesus Christ, if you've not placed your faith in him, if you've not responded to his call upon your life in faith, repented from your sins and put him on baptism, if that's not something you've participated in, if you're not a, if you're not, if you haven't made that decision, that choice in your life, here's my question for you this morning. Do you know the full message of the new life that's offered to you in Jesus Christ? If you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Christ, if you are following him, my question for you this morning is, do you know the full message of the new life that has been given to you in Jesus Christ? Because here's all I want to accomplish this morning. In these few moments that we have together, I simply want to obey the command of the angel of the Lord to the apostles, and I want to tell you about the full message of this new life. So let's just back up a little bit, um, because last week we looked at uh, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, and that that situation and how the church came out of that with the, you know, great fear seized the whole church. And the apostles continued to perform many miraculous signs and wonders among the people and the believers met together in the outer courts of the temple. More and more women, women and men uh, believed and were added to their number. Uh, and then Luke even tells us, and this is amazing, that during this time, people would actually bring their sick and, and the lame, and they would just put them on beds in the street in hopes that Peter's shadow might fall upon them as he passed by. And so it was a very exciting time. Crowds gathered, Luke tells us, from all around Jerusalem. And that brings us to our text this morning. And Luke begins by pointing out that the high priest and his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Well, of course they were, right? How could you not be? Any one of us in their position, if we're being honest, have to admit that we would struggle a bit with jealousy because there's amazing stuff happening. There's incredible stuff going on. Seemingly, everyone in Jerusalem is turning to join this, this group of, of Jesus followers. So they were filled with jealousy. And I, I want to just push pause here for a second. I want to stop and point out a, a principle that I think we see again and again on the pages of Acts. Uh, and I think it's very applicable to our life. Here it is. What fills us fuels us. What fills us fuels us. We read on the pages of Acts about how the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, and this fuels them to speak the Word of God boldly and to be one in heart and mind. We learned last week about how Ananias and Sapphira are filled with greed and pride from Satan. And this fuels them to lie to God and keep back some of the money for themselves. 
And here the high priest and his associates are filled with jealousy. And this fuels them to arrest the apostles and put them in jail. You see, what fills us fuels us. And my question to you this morning as you just look at your own heart and mind is, what fills you? It's a good question. What fills you? Because it's going to be what fuels you. You see, when we're filled with the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control of the Holy Spirit, then that fuels us accordingly. But instead, when we're filled with jealousy like these men were or, or were, or we're filled with fear or we're filled with anxiety or we're filled with anger or we're filled with impatience or hatred, then these two fuel us accordingly because what fills us fuels us. And so what are we filling with our hearts? What are we filling our hearts and our minds with? All right, I just had to push pause and share that with you. But back to where where we're going. So these these Jewish leaders are filled with jealousy. This fuels them, right, to to lock the apostles up for the night. Now, back in chapter 4, they put Peter and John in jail. This This is the second time Peter and John have been in jail, but now all the apostles have been locked up. And if you recall, the first time, they let Peter and John go just with the strict orders to uh, not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They, didn't, they were tired of hearing the name of Jesus. They didn't want them to talk anymore about Jesus. But not only had the apostles disobeyed their orders... But they were teaching in the name of Jesus in the temple courts. So they were not sneaking around and doing this. They were not hiding out in the back alleys. They were not whispering the name of Jesus. They were in the courts of the temple speaking publicly the name of Jesus. And so they had enough. The the Jewish leaders had enough. And so filled with jealousy, they locked them all up. Verse 19 But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Verse 20, the angel didn't say, run. The angel didn't say, go and hide. The angel didn't say, hey, maybe you should take a more silent approach and just live out the gospel. No, he said, go. Stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. In verse 21, we read, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they've been told and began to teach the people. Then what ensues from there is quite comical, really, because the high priest and his associates bring together this emergency meeting of all the elders of Israel. And once everyone has arrived, they go to get the prisoners. But on arriving upon the jail, they're not there. The doors haven't been opened, the guards haven't moved, but they're not there. And so they go back and say, hey, uh, this room full of all the elders of Israel, they're not there. And as they 
all sit there, not wondering, you know, what's going on, pondering what is happening. Someone runs in and says, hey, those guys you locked up last night, they're actually back out in the temple courts teaching in the name of Jesus again. And so they send out kind of the the chief of the temple police uh, with his officers, and they go and arrest the apostles and bring them before the council. And the high priest levels these two charges at them. First, he said, look, we had told you not to speak in his name again, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. So that's charge number one. Charge number two, you are determined, he says, to make us guilty of this man's blood. In other words, they start, the Jewish leaders were feeling like the apostles are trying to make everyone think that they're responsible for his death. They don't like that. Well, Peter and the apostles have this amazing response to the charges. In verses 29 through 32, instead of defending themselves, instead of rationalizing their actions in some way, they take this opportunity to get this. This is what they do. It's amazing. Given the chance to speak to this full room of all the elders of Israel, listen to what they do. They tell the elders, they tell the teachers of Israel the full message of this new life. Captivated audience. See, what we have in verses 29 through 32 is really special. Perhaps it's just a couple of verses that you've read over as a, as a, it, because this is a narrative, right? And so it's easy. It's, it's different from maybe reading through some of Paul's writings that are very, uh, you know, very, um, very doctrinally based, you know, just laying it out for us. This is a narrative, and so perhaps you've just, this is a response of Peter, but what we have here is so rich. What we have, it's a summary for us by Luke of what Peter and the apostles teach concerning the full message of this new life in Jesus Christ. And the irony of this situation is the very ones who did not want them ever to say his name again now get a front row seat to this teaching. Standing in front of all the teachers of Israel, they teach them the full message of the new life. And we're going to spend the rest of our time together looking at their response, looking at this summary, looking at this full message of the new life that we have in Christ. Now, the first thing to notice about this response, about this summary, again, it's verses 29 through 32. The first thing to notice about this is that it's bracketed in obedience. It literally begins and ends with a call to obey. In verse 29, it begins with these words, we must obey God. And in verse 32, it ends with these words, obey him. So the full message of this new life that we have in Jesus Christ 
begins and ends with our obedience to him. Whatever Jesus asks us to do, whatever he tells us to do, whatever he commands us to do, do without hesitation. Wherever he leads me, I will follow. And on the pages of Acts, we see this lived out. Check this out. In this instant, the apostles are in jail for the night. The angel of the Lord brings them out, says, go to the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. And how does verse 21 begin? At daybreak. You see, there's no hesitation. It's not, hey, you know, we were in jail all night. And so, if you don't mind, we're going to go home, hit the showers, grab a little power nap, you know, maybe make a protein shake, cup of coffee, and then we're going to regroup probably meet a couple, couple times, you know, try to decide how we're going to go about this, maybe come up with a plan, sort of a temple court rotation, if you will. Peter can have Mondays, Andrew Tuesdays, Bartholomew Wednesdays, and then, of course, we all need to get on the same page about what we're going to talk about. What is this full message of the new life that we're going to discuss. We all need, we need to meet a couple times to get all that down on paper before we go. No, verse 21, at daybreak. You see, this is obedience without hesitation. Then at the end of the chapter, we didn't read this earlier, but at the end of the chapter, the Jewish leaders decide to again release the apostles. However, this time they have them flogged. Now, this was typically the 40 lashes, you know, minus one. It was, still a, it was still a very cruel consequence. 39 lashes had killed many a prisoner. But listen to how they responded to being treated in this way. Verse 41 and 42. The apostles left the Sanhedrin covered with the wounds from 39 lashes, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Obedience. They never stopped. Perhaps the greatest birthday present Karen has ever received is a present from her youngest son, William. 
You know, I th- kids have it hard when they want to give a birthday present to a parent because they don't have a lot of money, right? So generally, especially the little ones. And so, you know, they can make something with their Legos. That's been gifts in the past. Or they can, you know, they, they just creatively try to come up with some kind of gift they can give. And one birthday, William gave this gift to Karen. And I have it on a picture Unlimited obedience. (laughs) Unlimited obedience. What a gift, right? What a gift. And in order to know the full message of this new life, you must know here at the outset, from, from beginning to end, it's a life of unlimited obedience. The apostles never stopped. They never stopped teaching the full message of this new life. And if you ever wondered, what do they teach? You know, what, what was the full message of this new life? Luke gives us a summary. So good. And I just want to kind of break it down with you here because it's so rich. It's so good. You know, the number seven in the Bible means complete and full. And so I've actually come up with seven uh, parts to this message of this new life. And it's just going to, we're just going to walk through these verses here and look at this full message of this new life. It's this incredible summary that was taught here by Peter and the apostles to the teachers of Israel. First part, number one, it begins with the God of our fathers. Literally, the God of our ancestors. You see, to understand the full message of this new life requires for one to know the God of the Jews. For as Jesus tells the Samaritan woman at the well, salvation is from the Jews. This new life has come according to the Scriptures. This new life is part of a bigger story that begins with Genesis and ends with Revelation. This new life cannot be reduced to a simple plan of salvation. We can't just check off the five steps without knowing the story. Begins with the God of our fathers. That's the first part of this full message of this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Second, it emphasizes God raising Jesus from the dead. It's, it's about the raising of Jesus from the dead. You know, there's this great quote that it's not attributed to any one single person. Many people through the years have said it, but it carries so much truth about this new life that we have in Christ. I love it. It's something in this, like this. It goes like this. The primary difference between the gospel of Jesus Christ and every other world religion 
is that the gospel does not make bad people good. It makes dead people alive. It makes dead people alive. You see, God raised Jesus from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You see, the full message of the new life is that God raises dead people. Death has lost its sting. Death no longer has victory. That's the that's part, that's a, that's a huge part of this full message of this new life, is that we once were dead, and we have been made alive. Third part is that it convicts that I, that you, that we had Jesus killed by hanging him on a tree. You know, one of the charges, as I mentioned earlier, the Jewish leaders, they, they didn't like, they, they, you know, listening to the, what the apostles were teaching, it made them feel like the apostles were determined to make them feel guilty for the death of Jesus, guilty of the man's blood. Well, they felt that way because that's what the apostles were determined to do. <laughs> Peter's very clear whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. But it's not just them. It's all of us. It's all of us are responsible. I love the lyrics to the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. The lyrics sum it up perfectly. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. You see, the full message of this new life is that his death has brought me life. My sins held him there, and his death has brought me new life. So that's the third part. The fourth part is that it also emphasizes God exalting Jesus to his own right hand. You see, God has raised Jesus from the dead, and God has exalted Jesus to his own right hand. I've talked about this before, um, about the parabola of salvation, right? So if you understand the full message of salvation, it begins here with the incarnation, and then there's the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. But for some reason, that's normally where we stop. And then some clouds came, and kind of Jesus went away, and he's coming back. But that's not the full message, that's not the full teaching. The full teaching is that Jesus was exalted. He didn't just disappear in the clouds. 
He was exalted to the right hand of the Father, where he now lives and reigns from his exalted position. This full message of this new life is that Jesus reigns from the right hand of the Father. God has made him both Lord and Christ, both Prince and Savior, both ruler and rescuer. This Jesus is the exalted one who reigns. The fifth part, Jesus brings repentance and forgiveness of sins. I think this is amazing. I think this is, this is the most amazing part of the full message of this new life, is the very one we hung on a tree, is the very one who brings repentance and forgiveness of sins to us. God, Peter says, exalts Jesus to the right hand so that he himself, Jesus, might live to be the one to bring repentance and forgiveness to his people. Isn't that amazing? You ever wonder, what's Jesus up to these days? <laughs> he lives to bring repentance and forgiveness of sins to his people. And the full message of this new life is that it's about repentance and forgiveness. Both are so desperately needed. You see, this new life is, is both about turning away from the old life. Huh. For some reason, we like to go back to the old life. For some reason, we're, we're tempted by the old life. It's like a big pile of dirty clothes over in the corner, and we don't want to wear the brand new clothes on the on the, on the bed, we want to go back and get something out of the old dirty pile of clothes. Well, we've got to turn. We have to turn away from the old life, from the, from the death and the decay of the old life. And we've got to live fully and completely forgiven in this new life. You know, to have this new life in Christ, we are fully and completely forgiven. We've got to live in that. We've got to turn from the old life and live into this new life. And Jesus lives as the exalted one. He lives today to give us repentance and forgiveness of sin. Sixth part, the apostles were witnesses of this new life. They saw it all happen. You ever wondered what this, a lot of, most of this New Testament is? It's eyewitness testimony. You think, you know, that sounds wonderful, but I don't know if I, we've got eyewitness testimony. People saw it all happen and wrote it down. They were there. They were at Pentecost. They were at the cross. They saw the empty tomb. That's what this is. They were witnesses of this new life. Peter would proclaim later in 2 Peter, we do not follow cleverly invented stories. 
when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You see, what we have here in the word of God is eyewitness testimony of the truth and the reality of new life in Jesus Christ. It's not a made-up story. In 1 John, John wrote, we heard him with our ears. We saw him with our eyes. We looked upon him and our hands touched him. The apostles were eyewitnesses of this new life. And then part seven, we have been given the expert witness of this new life. You know, in a court of law, the best witness for your case is called the expert witness. And the expert witness is exactly who we have been given in the Holy Spirit. No one knows and understands this new life in Jesus Christ better than the Holy Spirit. He's the chief witness. He's the expert witness given to all those who obey him. And the Holy Spirit instructs us daily concerning this new life. The Holy Spirit empowers us daily to live out the full message of this new life. And so here, here again is the summary of the full message of this new life. The one who was prophesied about according to the Scriptures hung upon a tree because of my sin. But God raised him from the grave to bring new life to those who were dead and has exalted him to the highest place where from the right hand of the Father he brings both repentance and forgiveness of sins to all who call on his name. The apostles were witnesses of this reality, of this new life, and the Holy Spirit, the expert witness of this new life, has been given to all who obey him. John Stott, commentator, he wrote this. I love these words about the apostles. He said, the apostles were not just eyewitnesses, but they were mouth witnesses. I love those words because, you know, today we can't be eyewitnesses. We cannot claim like John did that he saw him with his own eyes. But we can be mouth witnesses. After all, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit who is the expert witness of this new life. And so even though we cannot be eyewitnesses like Peter and John, we can be a mouth witness like little Matthew who came up out of the water and threw his hand in the air and proclaimed new life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this full message of this new life. Wow, it's, it's unbelievable, this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, 
I pray today that um, if there are if there are any if there's anybody here this morning who has not has not received this new life from you who 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 sit there dead in their sins I pray father that you will call them out that you'll call them by name to the new life in Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us who have been called to you, who have received this new life, may this morning remind us what we have been given. And Lord, empower us to be mouth witnesses. Proclaim to the world this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.